I don't believe that balance exists. I believe it's wholeness. I'm whole to begin with, but I I have work to do. Wholeness to me is being able to be your own bridge to your heart, through your heart. My name is Nisha Wingle, and I am the founding executive, and I'm so glad that you are here. This show is one of the fun things I get to do. Leave a review, let us know what you think. Um, and then you can please, if you go and uh, subscribe to the Holdus Network, then join us again because we have other episodes coming up that are exciting. And we usually bring in our experts and give you the opportunity to ask them questions and get real-time support for your life. So our experts are from all over the world and they have given us some of their best and most amazing content. And we have created the Wholeness Library, which is full of meditations, classes, kind of some follow-along techniques and, and more. So if you think of it like Netflix for wellness is what we kind of say. So you can try the library free and see what you think. And it is a perfect way to come back to balance and wholeness when life throws its daily hardships at us. It is perfect for education or a morning routine to get you going or to wind down at the end of the day. So if you haven't already, I urge you to go to the library and start to take seriously your ability to live in a state of wholeness. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's our passion. But today I thought I would do a, a little something different because Halloween is coming up. And during this season of Halloween, a lot of people associate some of our wellness tools with scary or evil practices or weird, you know, kind of thing. And so I thought I'd just have a little fun with it. And so that's what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be fun and interactive. So if you have something to say, please go ahead and raise your hand and you can ask and share as we go. I'm happy to, to answer questions for you. Um, and that kind of thing. So about 10 or 15 years ago, I was not aware or probably more likely I was not, or more accurate, accurately, I should say, I was very opposed to the concept of crystals, maybe essential oils, astrology, tarot. Like I was not the girl who was interested in these things. And if that is you, I totally get it. I was there. I get it. I know what you're saying and that's okay. My point here is actually not to divert your path. You know, I trust your path. I trust where you're at. Simply, I was really fascinated. Um, I got to a point when I had to confront some uncomfort within myself, some, uh, you know, all the beliefs I had about myself and about the way things were. And one of the things I did was to, to educate myself. And I was really fascinated. And I would say empowered, actually, as I educated myself about these things, I realized that uh, a lot of fear or anxiety, anxiety was happening in the background of my life about these things, maybe that really didn't need to be there. There wasn't really a need for that. So when I did educate myself, I, I freed myself in, in a way. And so that's why I like to share what I've learned um, with you because it is, it is helpful, you know, that I didn't, like I say, it wasn't keeping me up at night, but it was like, oh, I had all these preconceived notions. So I want to begin with crystals. I was able to find articles about crystals from sources like Time Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, I, uh, Popular Mechanics had an article on, on crystals and so did science.org. 
And there was a great article on sciencetimes.com about crystals. And and here's what it said, actually. I'm going to read it word for word. Healing crystals can be traced back to various cultures throughout history. Ancient Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, Chinese, and Native Americans all incorporated crystals into their spiritual and healing practices. Many times that word healing creates complications, but the definition of healing is what make is to make whole. That's the idea of, of healing. And so this is out, out of the article for a little bit, by the way. So we call them healing crystals and then people, you know, we get stuck on this physical healing, but healing means to make whole and being whole or is a feeling or a state of being it's, it's, it can be attained even if we're ill uh, or, or have a disease, we can attain healing or whole, wholeness, right? I suggest that this is how crystals are meant to be called healing stones. They can be useful because they help us in healing or becoming whole. Uh, the article goes on to say that healing crystals and gemstones have been played a part in all religions. They are mentioned throughout the Bible. And one specific reference is the breastplate of Aaron or the high priest priest's breastplate, as mentioned in the book of Exodus. Exodus. And it's clearly in this state used for symbolism rather than healing, right? It's used for symbolism. And it consisted of stones such as carnelian, turquoise, amethyst, agate, lapis lazuli, laz I had to look this up how to say it, lazuli, lazuli. And Jasper, clear quartz, and aquamarine to to like name a few. And it, though, if if you're anywhere familiar with with healing crystals, these are some of the most common crystals used today for their ability to return ourselves to wholeness, like we say. And so, I think it's very telling that um, that that was that was part of it. In the Quran, the fourth heaven is composed of garnet. The Kalpa tree, I don't know if I'm saying that right, right, which represents an offering to the gods in Hinduism is said to be made entirely of precious stones. And a Buddhist text from the seventh century describes a diamond throne situated near a tree of knowledge. And we may think that these things are mentioned because of their worth or their value, their monetary value. But what if there was a symbol? What if it was symbolic? That's my question today. What if it was symbolic and that's why it was mentioned um that's a lot of what crystals are there for they're there to be uh symbolic for our intention of that day our intention of what we want so another really really interesting article i found was in forbes magazine and it was called the benefits of healing crystals supported by science and they said that the number one uh scientific reasoning for crystals working was the placebo effect. So I say, okay, the next reason why they they had to look at it from a scientific perspective was because um, there's cross-cultural significance. So the fact that it's showing up in different cultures and in different areas, there must be something to it. That was kind of what they were saying, um, because otherwise it just kind of dies off. But it, it because it, it's showing up across different cultures, that in the scientific method um, is, is significant, adds some significance to it. And then I am not going to get this right, but they said the piezoelectric effect. I don't know if that's right. Is And what that is, I had to look that up, a scientific principle used in part to explain vibrational medicine. So this is what that is. And this enables crystals to transform 
um, kind of that this idea uh, is that it transforms pressure into another kind of energy, such as light, electricity, sound, and then amplify it. So the thing that I thought about this is like, you know, in almost every electronic device, there's a quartz crystal meant to amplify. That's, that's its, its, um, its duty is to help amplify either the, um, the, the, so it helps clocks be more accurate because before they would lose uh, time over time and it keeps, it amplifies the energy of it so that it can be more uh, correct in time. They, in this article, they also talk about what to use them for. So they say to use crystals in med meditation, and it says holding or gazing at a crystal that represents a mantra, emotion, or intention is a simple and effective way to return to your uh, meditation practice when the mind wanders. So it helps bring it back. And on a more practical level, they serve as a grounding tool, says this man that they interviewed. So... They also talk about crystals wearing crystals. Many crystal healers recommend wearing crystals on your skin or your clothes to benefit most from the vibrational medicine that they talk about. And he says he places, they place clients on or crystals on their client's body on a chakra or energy center and then, and then works with them and uses it that way. The other way we can use crystals is decoration. And you, you see it all the time. You see it. It's very popular. Um, a certified holistic practitioner and founder of a stone center suggests adding crystal to your home to maintain healthy feng shui within your home. Another way we could use crystals is for spa treatments and wellness. And many uh, health holistic health practitioners use crystals in facials and massages and even chiropractic adjustments. So that's some ways that crystals get used. And I just was fascinated whenever I think about crystals, I'm always fascinated about this story. Uh, so quickly, some background. In 1953, a scientist named Stanley Mueller performed, uh, performed an experiment where he sent an electric charge through a flask of, chemi of, chemical of a chemical solution and created amino acids, which amino acids are the building blocks of life. So it was super exciting because it was the idea of maybe this is how life began on this earth through shallow ponds. You know, it was this idea. How could that happen? Well, he says he suggested that maybe some electricity hit uh, through, a, through a lightning or something like that, created the amino acids, and then that's how it began. So, um, and they've repeated this experiment a lots of times. They've never been able to move past the amino acids, but it was a big deal at the time. And it still is considered a big deal, but there's a new, there was a, a man I watched a show and he, he had a different hypothesis and he thought that maybe instead of the shallow, uh, ponds scenario for life here, he, he thought a scientist thought that there was something called hydrothermal vents deep in the ocean where he he thinks that maybe there was enough that's that they could do that there so he um he put forth this experiment and he was you know and he thought I'm going to see if I can repeat what he got get some amino acids uh through through this chemical reaction if he could if he could um mimic the underground vents these underground thermal vents so he did it and he, it was funny i've, I've got a, a a link that goes right to the the video and he says we put it in there and we were so excited we had this big hypothesis and 
we ran the experiment and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And they were kind of baffled because they the, the science suggested that something should have happened, that sh- he, it should have happened. Well, then he realized that there were lots of minerals and there were lots of things down at the bottom of the ocean. There was what, so we would call them, you know, crystals is the name for minerals and rocks. In fact, we often call it, the Holness Network, we often call the crystals just a the highest form of minerals. They just have the, they have the purest form of minerals and we take minerals into our body every single day. So he decided there was minerals, there was rocks, there was different components down there. So he added those, um, those minerals and rocks to the solution. And that's when he was able to uh, create amino acids from deep sea uh, thermal vents. So I just think that was interesting. When I watched that, I, I just went, Hey, he's putting crystals were part of it. Crystals were part of making human life. That makes sense that they would support us. I don't know if that's true, but you know, that's where I went when I watched it. I thought, yeah, it's important. It's interesting that minerals are, are valuable to, to human life or to the building blocks of human life, let's say. All right, now on to essential oils. And uh, I get a few of the articles I found from John Hopkins Medical Center, some from Scientific America. Um, and they talked about how essential oils are basically plant extracts. They've been they've made these by steaming or press pressing various parts of the plant, which whether that's the flower or the bark or the leaves or the fruit to capture the compounds that produce the fragrance or the essence. And it can actually take several pounds of a plant to produce a single bottle of essential oil. Um, And then in addition to creating scent, essential oils perform other functions in the plants too. So each, I've heard of some, it's like some of it's like their immune system. So you're using the immune system of a plant and and borrowing from that immune system. And there's different other properties Um, one of the scientific studies that have revealed positive results from essential oils involves patients with dementia. This is a place that they've, you know, that they've been able to look at. And although contrary to common lore, let's see, (laughs) this is what the article says, drinking a tablespoon of fish oil every day won't starve off dementia. There is evidence that the balm from lemon oil reduces agitation in patients with dementia according to the study in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. So that was an interesting study because it with with people with dementia, it wasn't like they could be influenced by their opinion very, very easily. Um, so they, they state that um, quite often. And then there are other proven success stories for essential oils, such as the treatment of acne with tea tree oil and the treatment of hair loss with oils like thyme, rosemary, lavender, and cedarwood. Research into the use of essential oils found in citrus fruits is particularly intriguing due to their natural antibacterial qualities. For example, citrus oil, particularly when combined with Dead Sea salts, was known to inhibit bacterial growth in mice and act as an anti-inflammatory agent. The citrus essential oil, bergamot, could help fight the growth of of common causes of food poisoning. So like Listeria or E. coli or staph. So most of these studies have not extended to the clinical trial, which means they haven't moved into really getting people. And that's 
because it there's just not it's not called for. Um, but that mean and so that means there's still more to do before essential oils would be prescribed by physician by you know because these these studies are kind of just like let's just check out and see it's not a clinical study where we're doing blind taste blind studies and that kind of thing it's just hasn't been done hasn't been done um and you know something about essential oils there are dozens of essential oils all with different fragrances and chemical makeups we did a really interesting uh podcast episode with Allison about essential oils not too long ago and which essential essential oil you need really depends on what you're looking for, your symptoms or the, the fragrance you're looking for and prefer. And some of the most essential, uh, popular essential oils, according to this magazine, Forbes, is lavender oil. So ma- many people find that the lavender scent is re- relaxing. It's often used to help relieve stress and anxiety and promote good sleep. Another really um, popular one is tea tree oil, also called melaleuca. And this essential oil is used, um, it's been used by the Australians Aboriginal people for wound healing. And today it's commonly used for acne or athlete's foot or insect bites. Kind of, it's kind of like a, yeah, antibacterial kind of a thing, I think is what goes through my mind when I think about it. Peppermint oil is another popular one. And there is some evidence that peppermint essential oil receives relieves some irritable bowel symptoms. So um, when taken in a capsule and it can also relieve tension headaches when applied topically. So just put it right where your headache is. Uh, Lemon oil, many people find the scent of lemon oil a mood booster. And it also is used in homemade cleaning products. So we think about, you know, it's true. Mr. Clean was in lemon form. Yeah. What was it? Uh, Joy laundry or Joy dish detergent or Tide laundry detergent. You know, there was always the lemon scent, and and it wasn't just because that smelled good. It was because back when we were kind of making our own kind of stuff, that was the it had properties that were useful for that and beneficial for that. That was the essential oil. You know, was that back in the day? That's what they used those natural things when they made those things. So they just kind of transferred forward. Um, the most important thing to consider when shopping for essential oils is product quality. Now, this is from the article. I'm going to read it word for word. But figuring out which oils are the best is challenging since there is no government agency in the U.S. that provides a grading system or certification for essential oils. Many companies claim their essential oils are therapeutic grade, in quotes, but that's a marketing term. So it's something we have to think about. It sounds really exciting and and important, but it is a marketing term. There is no agency that has stamped a letter of approval on any any uh, essential oils. And unfortunately, there are lots of products you might find online or in stores that aren't harvested correctly or have something in them that isn't listed on the label. That's that's really difficult with essential oils. They are not, they are just not um, regulated. So here's some tips they gave for shopping for pure essential oils. They said to look at the label. It should include the Latin name of the plant. It should include the information on purity or other ingredients added to it. And that it should talk about where it was grown. That's really helpful. Another way to find essential oils is to uh, purchase products from well-known uh, companies. And so look up the company, see what they, who they are, um, 
make sure they've been around for several several years and that they have uh, people that a lot of people hopefully that um, recommend them. They also say to make sure that the uh, the jar is dark colored, that it comes in glass containers that are dark because pure essential oils are highly concentrated and they can dissolve plastic bottles and that contain the oils. And um, usually you're going to look for small brown or blue glass bottles and that helps uh, the integrity because it is an oil. It is a natural thing, right? Um, and is when it's pure, it's going to, it'll, it has, because it doesn't have different um, compounds interacting with each other, if it's just pure, it's going to last longer. And so that's why another thing is sometimes when they mix, as soon as you mix it with another, uh, something else, even if it's just to, just to um, extend it, it's, you've added another compound. And so those are going to start to break down. And then the other thing they said is to avoid fragrance oils. Like they'll talk about, you might find the word fragrance or perfume and they're made, they, they kind of are mixing those up between um, essential oils and, and they're dip entirely different. A fragrance is entirely different. They're not suitable. That's not the same thing for aromatherapy. Instead, look for bottles that contain a single essential oil in its purest form and has no other filters. That's where you're going to get the most purity and the most um, integrity within the essential oil. Also compare prices, they said, because essential oils range, range in price depending on how involved in harvesting and production they are. So they can do it cheap, but then it's just, you know, harvested cheaply. Um, there should be, a, there is a wide variety of prices. I, I also like if there's, if you're at a, looking at a company and every single oil is the same price, that's a little suspect because what they're saying here is that the harvesting is different for each oil. So, and, and so there's going to be a price difference between the different essential oils. Um, rose, sandalwood are more expensive. Those are going to be some more expensive roll, uh, oils, they say. So um, sweet orange or is probably on the less end, they say. So if you find a really inexpensive oil that's like like rose you're getting for a cheap, it's probably not that pure. There's something else going on. All right. Another area that I want to talk about is um, either oracle or tar tarot cards. And I just thought this was fascinating as I did the background work and really kind of understood what where what they were. Because like I said in the in the beginning, this the kind of questions just sat in the background and I didn't know <laughs> what they were, or, or you know, it was just like, no, those are not good. I don't like those. And there it was taking up some of my capacity in the background to make sure those were out there and, and left behind. And when I actually just kind of researched and found out what they were, it was kind of funny because they're just really not that, they're just literally like more like a piece of paper, right? I'm like kind of making a piece of paper have more power than it really deserves. And the, the history is interesting because it actually began as a game in Italy um, somewhere around 1400 CE. And this is about the same time that the printing press was invented. So maybe that was a factor in the, in the way that they, that it spread, you know, because it was able to be printed. Um, that's, that's an, a thought about it. Um, but the cards actually were associated with the Roman Catholic faith, faith surprisingly, you know, in, in Italy, right. This was a, a game. It began and then, so then years, hundreds of years went by, and then somehow during the 18th and 19th centuries, so 1700s, 1800s, 
uh, the cards became a popular method of divination among various occultists and spiritualists and astrologers and magical practitioners. It just kind of became something that just kind of happened. It wasn't created for that, but they picked up and they started using that in those time periods. And what's interesting is in the 20 and 21st centuries, the tarot has been used as a form of creative reflection, meditation, a therapeutic practice, or spiritual exploration. So it's interesting how um, a lot of the ideas we have are from the 1700s and 1800s, but in the 20th and 21st century, it really has uh, evolved quite again from the time it was at the 1400s to 1700s. Here we are again, using them for meditation or reflection or therapeutic practice. I, I think that's a fascinating way to think about it. And I would agree. Sometimes there's just some therapeutic to it, to picking a card and like, you know, pondering on it and thinking about it. And what does this mean to me? And how does this apply to me? But the, the symbolism and imagery of the cards, they draw on a wide range of traditions, including Renaissance art, classical mythology, early Gnosticism and Christianity, Jewish and Islamic mysticism, uh, hermetic traditions, alchemy, numerology, even that occultism is part of their, that's been in there, like they've taken that uh, popular culture as part of that, literature, art, religion, all of these different areas have been an influence to what is at the modern day, what we know as the tarot right now. And I, I didn't know at the beginning very much at all about tarot and tarot is more about uh, it's kind of more about having the, the it's kind of like a deck of cards with diamonds, hearts, spades, you know, it's the same thing. In fact, they have uh, pentacles, um, wands, swords, cups. So there's four suits. And then the difference is, is they have what's called um, the greater, what is it called? It just went out of my head, but it's like, so then you have the, the priestess or the, or the world or the, the devil, the devil is one of the cards and it's there to represent um, change. It, you know, the death card is representing uh, rebirth, you know, the things like that. So it's all about the symbolism of it. It's how do we uh, take what, you know, how do we understand the symbolism of the card? And so that, and, and it's really much a lot in the art of the actual card that, um, that, that they, it gets its meaning, but I thought it was interesting. I, I looked up, um, I wanted to look up what, what was said against it. So in Christianity.com, I found this, um, it said the main use of tarot cards is for di divination purposes, giving insight into your love life, finances, family problems, future spouse, or any other questions you might have. There is no such thing as neutral divination. It is spiritually dangerous. Many Bibles mention against such things happening early in the Old Testament alongside verses telling believers not to eat. So, okay, this is what was interesting. So it's in the Bible that they say this is wrong. And it is in the Bible alongside verses telling believers not to eat pork, to trim their, not to trim their beards, to, to get tattoos, to cut the sides of their hair, to eat oysters, to go to church within 40 days of giving birth, to work on the Sabbath or to eat fat or to touch a goat, or to sell land permanently. You know, these are all the other things that are lined up right in the same verses in the Bible. So, you know, that was an interesting thing. So, but I thought it was fascinating because, you know, on the Christianity.org, it called it spiritually dangerous. 
And yet it goes on to give a pretty good detailed explanation of the tarot, <laughs> um, really informative and yet calling it, um, eventually calling it daft and silly. So you'll have to make a decision for yourself about the use of tarot. Um, again, like I say, I believe that paper is benign and it can be used as a tool and the good or bad of that tool de derives from the intention of the use of that tool, like with so many things in our lives. Um, and then also then to switch over, there are cards that are called Oracle cards. And I think it's funny that tarot, we don't really have that as kind of whatever Oracle is really about divination. And yet those are seem to be the more benign cards, which is kind of funny. Um, they sound more like divination cards, but these cards are more often just simple phrases like have a good day or um, keep on going. You know, they're just these little um, good little messages that help make sense of things. You know, I love it where it's like it helps me make sense of how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling down, I'll pick a card and and it'll just give me a little boost of what I need. Um, you know, I picked a grabbed a card. I think one of the cards I have was like um, messages God wants for you. And one of them, I picked the card today. I think it's something like you make my heart sing, you know? So if you, you know, you just take a few minutes and ponder about what that means to think of, you know, of a, a, a God to, to feel joy, you know, that you bring him joy in his heart. You know, that's just beautiful, I think. Right. And, um, and it helps me just feel supported by God or by the universe. And I even have created my own cards and I tried to grab one. Um, and I don't know if you would call them Oracle cards or not, but they are my daily, daily thrive cards. And I, because I love cards, I just love being able to pick a card and say, Oh, that's, that's meaningful. So, so this idea is just their body, mind, spirit, soul, body, mind, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and it just gives you a little uh, to do, little thought for the day. Um, this one says, love is the strongest power in the universe. Love is a tool for creation and is the threads of connection. Love is always flowing freely and is ours for the taking. Love is infinite and eternal, forever multiplying, expanding, and inviting you in. So just a little thought. And then raise the vibration. It says, okay, so going along with the theme of love, there's the oil, which is rose. Um, there's a crystal, which is rose quartz. And then the color therapy, or if you're feeling like you need an extra boost, then put something on your body that's pink or green, or just, just to remind you of love. And then there's a practice. So this day it said, find a comfortable space to relax and imagine love flowing out of your heart and into the immediate area around you. Imagine it growing outward and upward until it seems to fill the whole earth. Trust that your efforts are received. Repeat the cycle in return, allowing you to receive love from the whole earth down into your heart. So you can take as much time as you want. Um, but anyway, so I love cards because they just give me a little beginning of the day to me that I just love having a, something to kind of just give me some direction and help, help me out. So um, I really appreciated that. All right. Lastly... What are we looking at time? Okay, great. Lastly, the idea of, I wanted to look in the idea of spiritual gifts or psychic powers. And um, you can think about how you prefer to think of them or refer to them. You know, some people are going to talk about being psychic. Other people are going to talk about <laughs> being spiritual gifts. So I decided to ask AI to give me some a list. And I think it did a pretty good job. So the list that it gave me for spiritual gifts are wisdom, the ability to make sound judgments and decisions, often based on d 
deep spiritual insight and understanding. So this is a gift, spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is knowledge, the gift of insight and understanding, particularly in things of faith and spirituality. Another gift is faith, a strong and unwavering belief in higher power or divine source, often accompanied by a deep trust in the divine plan. Uh, one thing to think about, too, is it's like, you know, some of these are going to say, oh, that's well, that's just easy. And the other ones are going to say, oh, I don't got that. And that's the whole point. We have different gifts and we're that we are born with or blessed with, and then we can attain new gifts, but we will not have all. some of these things will not have it. Another one is the gift of healing, the ability to facilitate physical, emotional, or spiritual healing in others through prayer, laying out of hands or other spiritual practices. This is, this is AI. AI says that miracles are another spiritual gift to the capacity to perform supernatural acts that go beyond the laws of nature, often attributed to divine intervention. Uh, prophecy, the ability to receive and communicate messages or insights from a divine source, often related to a future event or spiritual guidance. So, you know, spirit in the spirit gift, spiritual gifts realm, you're going to call it prophecy. <laughs> you're going to call it a psychic in the in the other one you'll see in a minute. Discernment is another spiritual gift, the ability to distinguish between true and the false or to perceive the presence of good and evil or positive and negative. Um, speaking in tongues, the ability to speak in languages unknown to individuals often associated with a phenomenon, phenomenon where a person speaks in a kind of divine language. So, you know, that's another thing too. I, I don't know much about that, but that's what I said. And another one is the interpretation of tongues, the ability to understand and interpret the messages. So that's another service is another gift. They said a willingness and inclination to help and serve others often with a strong sense of duty and compassion. Teaching is another spiritual gift, the ability to communicate and explain spiritual truths and principles to others, often with great clarity and effectiveness. Uh, encouragement, the gift of offering emotional and spiritual support and uplifting those in need. Hospitality, a talent for making others feel welcome and cared for, often through the provision of food, shelter, and comfort. Leadership is an, another one, the ability to guide and direct others in a spiritual context often with a strong sense of responsibility. So AI says these are spiritual gifts. Then when I asked AI about, um, uh, what was the word I used? Let me see. It was um, psychic power. So I said, what are some psychic powers? And it told me that one of them was telepathy. Telepathy is often described as the ability to transmit thoughts, feelings, or information one from one person's mind to another without the use of verbal or written communication. Clairvoyance or clear seeing is said to involve the ability to perceive information about people, events, or objects beyond one's normal sensory uh, perception. Precognition is the supposed ability to predict or have foreknowledge of the future events or outcomes. That's the prophecy. Uh, this could include being in dreams or other events that that happen before they happen. They just kind of know. Um, psychokinosis, also known as telekinesis, is the claimed ability to move or manipulate objects by the power of one mind without any physical contact. And remote viewing. Remote viewing is the practice where individuals claim to see or gather information from distant or hidden targets or locations using their psychic abilities. Uh, aura reading is another one that AI came up with. Some psychics claim to be able to read auras or see them, which are believed to be energy fields or color halos that surround individuals and can reveal information about their physical, emotional, and spiritual state. 
mediumship mediums claim to communicate with the spirits of the deceased and convey messages or information from the afterlife to the living which i think is interesting so a medium is with you know is specific according to ai with people that have passed on versus um i think it i don't know what was one of the other ones which is like just with heavenly realms which maybe is different empathy empathy is not necessarily considered a psychic power it is the ability to feel and understand the emotions and feelings of others sometimes to an unusually high degree. So both of these things with some shift in vocabulary words, you can see how these two lists can really kind of easily be combined and um, and they can become, you know, it's just a matter of what vocabulary word you would like to use. And I, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me with some of these gifts. I remember I worked with a young a young man who was 14 years old. He was a young 14 year old boy. I mean, just a typical kid. He was having struggling, uh, having some struggles in school and getting in trouble at home. And he was just having a hard time. So his mom sent him over to me. And after a few sessions, you know, he, he kind of in this way, he's like, Hey, and I, I knew it was a time of safety. And he said, I, I wanted to tell you something. He says, he, he says, I can hear color. And I said, okay. You know, it was something he hadn't ever you know, I don't think he'd allowed himself to really say out loud. And I feel like it took some time for him to trust me with that. And I said, okay. So I grabbed what I had, which I had the colorful things I had around me were some, some crystals actually. So he had a, a blindfold on and I said, let's check it out. So I would take the crystal and I put it next, right next to his ear. Um, so he couldn't see it. And he had the blindfold on and I would say, is this red or is this blue? And when we did that, he guessed correctly 100% of the time, 100% of the time. And I was amazed myself at, at that. And, um, and you know, I think it was just, what does that do? I don't know. What, how is that good? I don't know. But it was something that is he, I think the most important thing it did for him is it just allowed him to be a little bit more of himself. And I know that I myself have had to learn to develop and acknowledge some of these abilities within myself. And it's been really hard in, in certain ways to allow myself them. It's been really strange. And um, one of the things that was helpful and I, I, I wanted to make sure I talked about was um, the idea, you know, there's this, there's this true thing. And I was looking it up for this, this thing and getting some really interesting information about the um, U S military's, remote viewing program. So if you want a fascinating rabbit hole to go down, Google it. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I looked at a couple of documents. These are um, on the CIA website and it's one, it was a 98, seven page document talked about, um, you know, it, it was interviewing experts and thoughts on the matter and trying to make sense of, are we really going to do this? And what, what are we going to do? Because this is really controversial, but this is what we're going to do. And this, uh, this is, I'm going to read right from the, in fact, I took a picture, so I'm going to get a little close. So it said, um, it talked about U.S. national security agencies have been interested in remote viewing since at least World War II, when Hitler reportedly uh, relied on astrologers and seers for intelligent information. Approximately 50 years later, the government still cannot disprove that psychic phenomenon is something to be taken seriously. Um, the in 1992 Defense Authorization Act tasked the Defense Intelligence Agency to initiate an aggressive study on anomalous phenomena. Anomalous phenomena. 
1992 Act directs, quote, a continued robust effort to evaluate the activities of foreign governments, particularly the activities of the Soviet Union. So their goal was to try and see what was going on over there. On over there. Then in the in a nineteen and one hundred and seventy eight page document, you know, which you can just get lost in, I found this. Um, it said, using the standards applied to any other area of science. It is concluded that psychic functioning has been well established. The statistical results of the studies examined are far beyond what is expected by chance. Arguments that these results could be due to uh, methodical flaws in the experiments are soundly refuted. Effects of similar magnitude to those found in the government-sponsored research at SRI, the names of the places that did it, have been replicated at a number of laboratories across the world. Such consistency cannot be readily explained by claims of flaws or fraud. It is clear that the author, to this author, that um, this is possible and has been demonstrated. And the conclusion is not based on belief, but rather on commonly accepted scientific criteria. It's been replicated in a number of forms. Um, so what they found was the thing that was difficult um, that they found that the trick of it was, is that they found that some people were better than others in remote viewing. And so in order, you know, at the end of the day, when they had to figure out, are we keeping this going or not? <laughs> Here's where it broke down, which I think is so fascinating because by the scientific method, what we have to do is we have to, um, you have to have the double blind, you have to be able to prove it um, with no interference. Well, they found that there was definitely some people that were better at it than other people. So if, if they ran, if they took those people that were better at it than other people, then before they even started the test, they had decided that it existed. So there was really no way to actually do the science, uh, you know, to actually just say, okay, here's our new way of doing things. And here's, here's why. And that was what these arguments are all about, because it was like, I have to say, well, this person's better at it. Well, we're trying to even see if it exists. And so um, that was what tripped them up is that there were some people that were that were better at it. And yet they could teach everybody to do it. There was enough, like it said in that previous one, there was enough. It went beyond chance, you know, when they do the mathematics that they were getting it right beyond chance. And so they had to acknowledge that it was there, but as far as moving forward in this and who knows, maybe they shut it down and open it up under another name. You never know. I mean, if any of you've watched the born identity, you know, that's a thing. Maybe that's it. But this was the whole, uh, you know, trying to, it was just interesting to read that, trying to get these experts to kind of, you know, they, they just didn't know what to say about it. You know, it was just really fascinating. Um, so that, you know, and they had to come up with ways to make it, should we fund this more, you know? So, so I don't, we didn't know how to fund it because it existed, but we don't even know what, what to call it. It was interesting. <laughs> it was so, it was funny. All right. So that's what I wanted to talk about as far as those kind of woo-woo type things. Um, I I think now more and more they're less woo-woo. I think you can find, I think at the dollar store, I found essential oils. I found chakra uh, candles. I found um, crystal, little crystal sets. Um, you can find little tarot cards or, or 
Oracle cards almost everywhere as well. It's a big change in the last decade as far as the the um, commonness of those kind of things. But to some, it's still it's still a little out there, and so we just wanted to make fun of that during the holiday season and just kind of go with it. But I, and I but I promised a couple of spooky stories. So I wanted to share a couple of stories. One, a couple, uh, one is one that I'll share. And then I had a few that were um, given to me and then we'll move on to questions. So make sure to stay to the end if you have a question. Um, so here we go. So there was a book. It's a really interesting book called Proof of Angels. And it was written by the same co-author of Proof of Heaven by Eben Alexander. We interviewed him. So Proof of Heaven uh, is about a medical doctor who uh was in a in a coma and he had an experience through a near-death experience and it really transformed him because he was a medical doctor who specialized in this kind of thing and recognized that the brain function that was offline was the one that should have been you know that had been his reason at least for for understanding why people have these um near-death experiences and yet so he himself had this profound experience that he knew didn't fit with with what he was um what he had believed or thought you know so he he could look at the data he could see the images of his brain and knowing that those those parts that were offline were the parts he very that he needed to create this for himself so it was a it's a really interesting um book called proof of heaven so that's Eben alexander we had him on the podcast and interviewed him and he was it was fascinating um, but so it was the co-author that helped him write that book, right? Wrote this book called Proof of Angels. So kind of funny. And in this book, um, there was a small town police officer. And in fact, when I was looking online yesterday, there was a there was a whole panel of officers talking about it. And um, they had come to a scene of an accident where a car was in a river upside down, it had been upside down, and they're trying to, you know, work through it and they hear a voice say, help, help, help. And so that in, you know, like they just start, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta help. Um, and so there, there's a whole hour footage of trying to get this car out of the water by the body cam cameras of the policemen. And when they were finally able to get the car turned right side up, um, after what they believe from the time a, a neighbor heard a crash, it was a 13 hours or so that this car had been flipped up by, upside down. It was clear that the mother had died on impact, but there was an 18 year old little baby Lily who had somehow survived and they pulled this baby out. And so this story is just kind of about how that impacted, especially this one police officer, because he didn't know what to think about this idea. And, and it was really uh, kind of, you know, similar to Evan Alexander where it just kind of rocked his world. And it's a fascinating book. Um, so that's always a fun little uh, story, little maybe spooky story. In fact, you can watch the video. It's kind of wild. It's just kind of wild. Okay, some other stories that came in. Um, this one, when I was eight or nine, let's. This is from Sha Shanna. Um, when I was eight or nine, my mom, sister, cousin, and I were driving from Tucson, Arizona, to Salt Lake City, and lost about six hours of the drive. Like it was early afternoon, and suddenly the sun was setting, and the tape. It was the late 80s, early 90s, was on the other side as if it had been looping for hours. 
we were all singing one song at the top of our lungs and then it felt as if we'd come out of a haze and the song was different and no one was singing and we were definitely hours down the road from where we had started singing so that is spooky just all of a sudden there was a, just time shifted um i wonder if everybody had that same experience that's fascinating thank you for that story this next story is from shell they said shell um I have a habit of reading before bed. One night I finished reading, set my book on the nightstand and put my glasses on top of it like I always do. But the next morning, my glasses were gone. I know I had them when I went to sleep because my vision is bad enough that there's no way I could have read without them. So at the time, I didn't have a backup pair. So my parents had to come over and help me look for them because <laughs> she was blind. We searched all over our apartment, my apartment, but they were gone. So my parents took me to get a new pair. Months later, I went through the same nighttime routine. But when I woke up in the morning, both pairs of glasses were sitting on the book I had been reading. Oh, whoa, that's amazing. Amazing stories. Thank you for sharing. This one is by Liesl. Um, when I was a kid, my mom, so cute, we must be, um, and grandparents took me to see a play about prisoners set in an old jail that was now a tourist spot. The, to me, the, the actors were too realistic and I started crying and we had to leave. Chatting to my mom a few years ago, and apparently it wasn't a play, it was just a visit to an old empty jail. So, oh man, so your memory of it was seeing people interacting. That's fascinating. Um, I totally get that when we went to Alcatraz. I mean, I didn't have, I, but it was just, yeah. I mean, my memory of it, it's almost like it's in a movie and I've always thought, well, it's always in a movie. So maybe that's it. But yeah, I, I, I don't think I saw at the time, but oh, you could feel it in 2007. This is from, let's see who we got. Jen. I'm just going to give first names. In 2007, I was actively looking for a puppy to adopt. One night, I dreamed about a tiny, gray, fuzzy puppy that was mine. Fast forward a few weeks, and I was with my mom picking up her new puppy. And when the same puppy from my dream was right in front of me, I tried to leave without her, and she kept following behind me. She was a once-in-a-lifetime dog, and I'm so grateful I got to a sneak preview into who she would be. Oh, there you go. So see, there's one of your gifts showing right up um so so it was that's fascinating i have another one but it doesn't have a name no one was saying anything till my cousin suddenly said um i don't know if that's one i, I don't know if that's one okay so we're going to move on to some questions that came in and if anybody has a question um, they can go ahead and put it in the chat or uh, get to me anytime. We try to have these questions every so often. I love questions. So if you have a question, you can email me at michelle at theholenessnetwork.com and ask me questions. That's the greatest way to find out what to do a podcast episode on or to answer in these kinds of things. We do these these uh, about once a month for now. We hopefully to move on to more often, but this is our time to get really interactive. So loving questions. Okay, first question, how do I begin using crystals? That was a, a genuine, uh, simple question, but big. So how do you begin? I mean, that's the thing. We learn all about it, but what do you do? So I suggest to go to a metaphysical store um, 
they're everywhere. So they're in like a lot of malls even have these things and they might just have a small section of stones. That's okay. But you can Google, you know, Google Maps, metaphysical physical store near me or crystal shop near me and go to one planet time and go and just look at the stones. And then you can pick them up and hold them um, and feel them. Let's see, I've got this one right here. This is a big, this is more big than you could even do, but just hold it in your hand and um, have an intention, you know, that you're going to buy one that supports you. That's just your intention. And many times they have the properties right, in, you know, right there. You can just read the little cards of what the properties are of the stones. And you can do that, but you can also just, you know, have a hunch. The colors are a lot, a lot of times they're associated with the chakras. So if you know the chakras, you can say, you know, like I'm wanting help with my relationships or, and my love. So I'm going to look for either an orange or a pink or a green. You know, if I, I, this one's a lot about um, your voice, your throat chakra. So that's why I have it with me right here now is just to help support. My intention was to support me to be able to speak clearly. Um, one of my, and my astrology chart I had, my wound was in my house. That's about communication. And she said, even she said, you, maybe you even have a lisp. And I didn't think about that, but um, when I hear other people speak, they can just speak in one fluid line and I'm usually choppy. And so I thought, you know, it's true. I have this, 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 I'm different in my communication. So I keep this with me as an intention to just help support my, my talking, my, my words, my, my voice. So that's how you can use it to, to go along with the throat chakra or any of the chakras, I should say. And, or, you know, if you just like the way the stone looks, that's okay. That's okay too. So just, um, then just take it home and then think about what you want it to represent for you. You know, I want this to remind me of this moment, you know, whenever I go on walks or if I go someplace, I'll grab a stone. In fact, I was visiting, <laughs> I was visiting, um, back in Indiana this week, this last weekend, and we went on this little walk and and my son said, did you get a stone? Did, did you get yourself a stone? And so my kids all know, I mean, I just, it's just a way of me marking the time and, and it, it's meaningful to me. So, so then you could hold it and you can intend for that stone to be a reminder of that, that, that whatever it is that you have that intention. And then you can carry it with you every day and you can feel and, and hold the stone as needed and kind of just put yourself back into the memory of what your intention is. And you can play with these stones in a fun way um, that they're just meant to be a supportive. It's, it's, it's all about what you put, put into it, that what you get out, because I guarantee to some people, this is just, it's just a rock and that's what they'll get out of it. And that's just fine. That's just fine. Okay. Another question I got was how do I deal with my spouse that doesn't like these kinds of things? So um, very common for one spouse to kind of be in this and one not. Um, I was just talking about this the other day, but one of the things I would suggest is, you know, for someone, I assume that they're probably more uh, analytical minded or that they're more of a mental person. So they're more, you know, scientific or analytical or linear or, or, or maybe they're even so creative that they just, you know, they don't want to stop and learn the, 
know, they just want to do it for fun, which is fine or whatever. I don't know exactly what that, what um, your situation is. But one of the things I thought of when I saw this question was to, you know, maybe together try and watch some, a couple of documentaries. So if you start to watch some documentaries about quantum mechanics or even Einstein and how Einstein's theories came about, what, what they are, um, we kind of start to blend into this world a little bit. Um, I was looking up, there was a great, amazing uh, documentary. It's old. It's a little old fashioned, but it's called The Physics of Light. And it was really fascinating because it just put into, they were just able to explain well some of these things that are just really kind of unexplainable. And when you go into quantum mechanics, that's the whole idea is that the physics of the micro world and the physics of the macro world, which is the entire universe, don't always line up with our everyday physics that we have. Um, and, and you can think about it as simply as like here on this earth, if I drop something, it falls to the ground. The physics of the moon is different. If I drop something, it does not fall to the ground. Um, so that the physics are different. And so what that begins to do is it begins to just kind of shift that maybe there's a little more, you know, maybe things aren't as concrete as we think. And so, and those are scientific, right? So these kinds of movies, you know, do they just kind of can shift the possibilities from fixed and unfathomable to, you know, unfathomable and realistic. So they're still unfathomable, but it's like, oh, there's maybe there's some realist to it, to it. Um, so that's fascinating. All right. Um, what we're doing so great. Okay. Lastly, a question I really wanted to make sure I, I answered. I'm so grateful that this question came in. The question was, um, are extraterrestrial dimensional beings whose role is to keep us from destroying, uh, ourselves with WMD? So are there beings whose their role it is to help us to stop us from destroying ourselves with weapons of mass destruction, you know? And I just have to stop at this question because the reason why I was so grateful for this question to come in is because it has, there's a lot of uh, facets to this question. There's a lot in this question to look at. And the first one is the idea, you know, depending on where you come from, you've stopped listening after the first RETs or extra dimensional beings, <laughs> Uh, we, you know, you, you stopped right there. So we got to kind of stop there for a minute and talk about what the idea of ETs or extra dimensional beings is what this person calls it. Um, we have to talk about what that is. And, and that's the thing that took me the longest to kind of get over, but recognizing because when I was first in this world, you would go to a conference, you know, and someone would say, you have to have an intention and you've got to be focused on that attention and then the next speaker would come up and they would say, you've got to let go. You've got to just release. And to me, those sounded like, like they were contradictory. And so I didn't understand. I was confused. And so I did a lot of pondering on it because I was, I was like, that doesn't, what, what is happening here? And the truth is, is when you move into a both and type of living, um, it only makes sense there. So anyway, so we have to think about you know, so the vocabulary words um, and ideas are both true. Those were both true, letting go and focusing on intention. And yet they are contradictory. So how does that work? So one of the ideas I want to talk about is just this idea of an ET or extraterrestrial being. And I just thought the most um, 
you know, the most extreme version of that is, is the idea in Christian tradition where Jesus died and then came back to life. And then the Bible teaches that 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven, both visible, visibly and bodily is what, um, and so there was this rising, the ascension, and it implies that he went somewhere else. So, um, and it, the, by the definition of the word extraterrestrial or extraterrestrial, it one of the, the definition is coming from or existing outside the earth or its atmosphere. So, so, you know, we can even go there where it was like, where was that ascension? You know, it was out there somewhere, but I don't think there would be very many people that would say that Jesus is an ET but yet he is living there outside of this earth by very definition of the of the word alien or extraterrestrial so you know so do you see how the the definitions the vocabulary words really are impacted by the meaning behind them there's a it's a big difference between just using a vocabulary word if somebody started calling Jesus an extraterrestrial people are going to say like you're that's blasphemous that's terrible and yet so so we have to know where people are coming from. We have to understand where they're coming from. And so that's one important thing I wanted to talk about or pinpoint into this in this question. Um, I think it was just so great because this is this is what comes up is then we're talking about, you know, I'm going off with the idea of extraterrestrial and someone else is going off with the idea of an angel or or a passed on loved one and we think we're not having the same conversation at all and we're arguing about the same cover we're arguing about it within this conversation and yet if we really kind of pull back and ask what do you mean by that i think a lot of times we're more aligned than we think um you know so we don't know so so i have to get to, to know like what do you what what is an extraterrestrial or an or as they call it, um, a extra dimensional being, you know, that sounds, that could be an angel that could be, um, or is it a, is it a, a you know, is it a, a being from another planet developed purely through evolution yet further along the evolutionary scale? You know, is that the definition, you know, we have to understand, um, what these are, but I, I encourage you just to think about that for yourself. What does that mean to you? What does that look like for you? And then how can you broaden that definition to include something that you didn't, you know, that maybe you didn't think of that's like, oh, well, if somebody else called that, that would I be a, how would I feel about that under the same definition? Um, Because we're, we're probably not on the same page, but to answer the question, so are they are there beings there to help us, you know, kind of stop us from destroying ourselves? So um, I will answer through my experience or my opinion. So I'm not going to tell you that uh, I, I feel like I, uh, I I honor the fact that someone else may have a different, a different interpretation. Although I really, again, think that if we sat down and had a discussion, that it would be more a difference of vocabulary words rather than ideas. So um, what I would say is I, I I think we do. I think we do have beings that support us. Um, I'm not sure that they have this idea of having to save us from ourselves because the thing is, as we move into that word of save us, me, then we get into this idea that there's we get into a binary right or wrong that there's a better way or a worse way for us to to be 
And that gets very tricky. You know, um, like I say, I, I, I'm living in this both and kind of world. And so, um, and, and, and I understand um, beings as loving and kind and, and that we are here to grow and learn. So, so that kind of gets a little sticky about saving um, as far as like that we're, we can't do, you know, we're incapable on our own. And yet, um, I know that our, uh, and I believe that our loved ones care for us and, and, and that they work with us maybe on an individual basis. So they have an individual, uh, they have an individual interest in my life. Uh, and so they, they, because, because I think what's going on is if you think about like, let's say you're in, you know, you're in a, a first grader and that, that level of, um, evolvement is in first grade and then you've got a sixth grader and then you've got a 12th grader and then you've got a teacher, right? There's just, they're all humans, you would say maybe, uh, but they they have, they're living in different, in different world, different experiences. So they're not supposed to be the same. Um, and so that teacher is going to care about that kindergartner or the first grader or whatever, and want to teach and grow that individual, but they're not so concerned about that, that they're going to make a decision in kindergarten that's going to just ruin them and they'll never be able to be a teacher. So there's, there's that to look at. Um, so, so I think, you know, that the, the, there's people who's their, their, their um, support system, you know, it doesn't evolve them or, or humanity to annihilate the planet. And so, yes, they would be working and supporting them, um, but I don't know. And, and maybe swooping, it's possible to swoop in and stop something um, that might affect other people. And, um, you know, and at the same time, we also, I, I'm very aware that we, uh, that there's an honoring of agency or of choice. And so I think both of these things are happening at the same time. And, um, and and so, yeah, they're on an individual basis. Are they, you know, because that's not supportive. If someone's going to blow up the planet, that does not evolve that individual. That does not give them experience that is useful very much. And so that would be their reason for for kind of supporting them on an individual basis. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, another factor to look at, you know, another factor to look at is that I also have a deep awareness in our interconnectedness here as human beings on the earth and the power of love and things of light or goodness, yummy, you know, feelings, positiveness, and they have an influence. And that's, I think, part of it too. I think that we are part of that influence when we add goodness or light or positivity or happiness to the world. And I would say, you know, at the same time, another part of that is, 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 if I'm in grief or if I'm in sadness, I'm also, I feel like that's still positivity in the world. If I'm authentically living that, you know, versus resisting, um, we get into a whole bunch of good and bad and right and wrong, which is just, that's just like, to, to me, that's just like, you know, deciding that A is always going to say A ah, for Apple. It's like, yes, there's an A and it says A ah, for Apple, but there's ah. Uh, you know, once you, it gets very complicated or all those rules that we learned in reading, this is the rule. And then pretty soon you find out there's always an exception to the rule. 
Um, that's how it is with, it's like with good and bad and right and wrong and, and evil and, and goodness is there, you know, it gets a little, it's like, yes, true. And, and there's, it's, it's, it's interesting, right. You know, um, but I think I sense in this question, some fear, you know, I sense in this question, some fear or some uncertainty and I hear and see that for sure. I want to acknowledge that, that there's a lot of fear and uncertainty in the world right now. And I wish life was always good and easy for everyone. I really do. But there is, the truth is, there is more good done in the world than bad. And if you look at the world on a micro level, with human beings interacting with other human beings on a daily basis, people are beautiful. People are People in real life in front of each other are beautiful beings most of the time, more often than not. A lot of goodness happens between everyday individuals, just simple individuals, just, you know, you're at a stop sign and you both kind of have stopped and the one person says, go ahead and go. That's, that's brotherhood. That's humanity. That's beautiful. And those small little things, you know, that's happening all the time. Um, so, I just say, please don't give into the fear that is, you know, sold to us. There's, there are definite things that are going on in the world that are def that are difficult. And, you know, the, it's interesting because, um, you know, there, there's some chaos happening in our world right now. There, there are, they're not the majority, but we can't, again, just because we're not the majority, we don't say, well, those don't matter. And, those that have lost loved ones in places like the Ukraine over the last couple of years or, or in Israel, whether they're Jew or Palestinian, their world has been lost. Their, the weapon of mass destruction has happened in their life. Their world is gone. Um, and we can spend our time trying to prevent that from happening to us, you know, but to them, it's the reality. But I know that when, um, you know, and, and I know I get to say, I want to say, I know that that area, that place it holds a lot of terror and fear and worry, you know, um, it's true. It's not like we can tell those people to just be happy or, and, and this is the truth that, and I know it may be counterintuitive, but really we have this idea of like, okay, there's, that's fearful. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, but if we actually would stop and put our energy into grieving with those that have lost their world, their entire world, who they don't care if the button goes off or not. Like that's meaningless to them. It has already gone off in their life. So if we actually join in with them for a minute and grieve with them and desire to comfort with them. Um, and when, if we mourn with them, whether that's up close, you know, or just at home for a few minutes. And luckily we get to go off from that few minutes and do something else. They don't. But if we actually spend some time instead of worrying about what to do to stop that, if we actually go in and, and mourn with them or spend some time thinking about them and holding them in our hearts, what's really fascinating is we don't have the room for fear. You know, I just, I, I, I just hope you'll try that. Just take a few minutes and think about, the sorrow of the world and be with it for a minute, just be with it and, and acknowledge it. And you don't, it's not your responsibility to fix it. It's not your responsibility to take it necessarily, you know, there, you can't fix it. There is no fix for that. 
But what what it really is is acknowledging the, the the fear or the anger or the hurt or the sorrow, the grief. And if we just sit there for a few minutes and are with those people and just, I see you, you know, you just think, I see you. I, I recognize that you're hurting, you know, and when I go into that space, that fear just kind of melts away. And um, I don't have room for that fear because I'm mourning with those that are hurting. And, um, and, and, and the fact is, is if our world, if that becomes us, right, if, if we become one of those where our world has turned upside down, um, you know, what's amazing is that even in that we, we can, we have the opportunity to see on an individual moment by moment, beautiful things there's, it's still available to us. And, um, and the beauty of the earth is in the eye of the beholder, really. So that doesn't mean, and again, it doesn't mean that we bypass and we say to that person, just look for all the good. No, it's it's both and it's feeling the hurt. And then and then if you're open to it, you will see, you will be opened up to little moments of beauty, little moments of love. There's a great movie called Collateral Damage. No, Collateral Beauty. Collateral Beauty. And that's the whole idea is that when we have this event that happens in our lives that changes our world, moves our world upside down, blows up our world, um, that and it's devastating. And, and, and there's this, but there's this collateral beauty where all of a sudden we just have these moments of beauty and they don't erase the pain. Um, they don't take away the pain, but at the same time, we can't deny that there's moments of beauty, of kindness even in the midst of that and to take each moment by moment and for us to be there for those that are suffering and to also reach out when we are suffering. Like that's how humanity um, gets better. It's not by making all of the bad stuff go away. It's about us each connecting with each other and being there for each other when we need it and also reaching out when we need it and having that flow of connectedness. That's what will actually fix everything is that versus everything else. And um, so it's really helpful to be very in tune and mindful of what people are saying, not out loud. What are they actually saying when they say things? Are they, um, what what's really going on? What are they really feeling? Um, so again, just to sum up, when we live each moment authentically with that hope, so we're authentically sad, but there's this background of hope. Maybe um, we cry when the moments call for tears and we laugh when it calls for laughter. And we don't make one moment have to define the other. So I hope that understands, uh, or I hope that answers your question. Um, another question, a couple more. Is there a way to access healing light from beyond the veil that heals our physical bodies? I absolutely believe there's um healing light from our that we can or or you know whatever you want to call it again vocabulary word we got I'm not going to go into all of those what that means to you but is there access to healing I think absolutely and one of the things that we have to understand is that at, at some point our body does have to transition like and so you know if if we think about if we all just had you know we got to age 77 and we were done 
Um, and that was just, there wasn't any, anything else. I think it would inhibit our ability to have experience, certain experiences. And so, it, you know, if I think about weighing it out, do I, is it, you know, is it nice if just death became, is just not painful. Okay. Yeah. That would be great that it's not painful, but oh, we're giving away, we're letting go of all these other things that are really valuable. So in order to bring that up, okay, then you know what? Okay. Now we have fear and we have unknown about death and we have pain and struggle and, and we bring in all in order to have that not be 77, then we're going to have the spectrum of ways that our bodies transition our bodies go over, which even though it's so painful in the end, I would, you know, even if it's 51% better plan, it's just a little better plan. And so once we bring that in, then we have all of these, you know, then, then the possibilities of how our body is going to need to transition over is becomes almost endless. <laughs> So then our body has to go at some point. So whether, even if we want to bring in that healing, our bodies are meant to deteriorate and go on. And at the same time, uh, we have suffering that exists that maybe, so the suffering is the thing that we are really uh, wanting to change. It's the suffering of in our bodies. And I know people who, you know, are in the middle of dying, um, or I've seen people in the middle of dying and they are not suffering. And that's where that whole healing becoming whole is really valuable because our goal is to be that whole is to not suffer. And suffering comes when we are attached to the loss. And I was thinking about this as as I was getting ready because we have loss all the time. You know, it, I, I, I pulled out my, you know, I was brushing my hair and it's fall time. So I've got, you know, there was a bunch of hair that came out as I was brushing my hair and I had no grief about it. I was not sad about it. And I was not concerned about it because my attachment to it is just there. If I lose a fingernail or, you know, I found out, I think I left something on my trip in my hotel room. I'm trying, I'm like, did I leave that there? You know, and I've got a little bit of grief, but it's not the same as losing something, you know, else. Uh, or not, you know, that's, I'm not suffering necessarily because, because that attachment is not there. So if, when we learn uh, and, and, but of course, love is a form of attachment. <laughs> See how I get so, it's so difficult because there's just always the other side, but um, being, you know, having love, of course, we're going to grieve when our loved ones have passed. Of course, um, that would not make sense if we did not um, but yet there's grieving is grieving the same as suffering. I don't know if that's, if that needs to be exactly the same. So what we're really calling for is the, the relief of suffering. And in that we look at, um, you know, we got to look at the, the definitions of, of what's happening and what that means to you and what that represents to you and how that feels to you so that we can, um, we can die work through that suffering, um, so that we can, work there but as far as chilling you know accessing the light yeah you know it's it's that's the moments of quiet it's the moments of allowing for that moment because i think if you're in that whether it's meditation or just laying on your bed and taking those deep breaths and feeling the energy of that heart i in in just a few minutes if you really pay attention am i suffering right now if you, am i suffering right now i'm not and so the attachment to whatever ailment is happening is kind of separated for a minute. And we're in this moment of 
being okay. And that's the whole point is expanding that out and expanding that out. And sometimes we need some help to do that because we have some trauma. Um, we have some blocked or ideas, some beliefs that are stopping that. We don't know until we really take some time to really uh, ask some questions and to be curious about what's causing the discomfort. But as far as the suffering, yeah, we can do that at any time. So anyway, um, I think we will end there. Uh, it was amazing to be with you today. Um, I'm trying to see if I've missed anything. Nothing. Yep. Everybody got the questions answered. So great. It's been good being with you today. Make sure to, uh, again, go to the wholenessnetwork.com and subscribe so that you can know when our next episodes are going to be scheduled. So we will see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Feel empowered every day with wholeness videos, meditations, downloads, classes, and more by joining the Wholeness Library at thewholenessnetwork.com.